0: Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason. With me as well as Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Doing great. What if you weren't doing great though? That's a bit. What if I wasn't doing? <laughs> what what <laughs> I wasn't if gonna, I wasn't doing great? Yeah, <laughs> that was good. I, I wasn't I, sure uh, what we were going to do
2: for our, our segue banter thing there, so I went with the. Yeah, uh, you know,
0: we don't, obviously don't know what would have happened, but we are going to uh, we're going to speculate about uh, some of our favorite uh, what if scenarios in NBA history and uh, what might have happened had uh, history changed. These are all, I think. You know, fairly realistic prospects that uh, could have happened. Where, you know, there's obviously some wild ones, and, and we got some suggestions from Twitter followers and other ones that were you know kind of thrown out there that um, I think are interesting, and worth discussion. But we try to keep ours fairly within the grounds of uh, the bounds of reality, the grounds grounded in reality, perhaps.
2: Yeah, things that like w- w- either reports that were going to happen or were on the verge of happening or that we have. It's not just simply like, oh, you know, if, if, if you know, this trade could have possibly, you know, oh, I would have been really cool if this happened or whatever. And it, less so of that, more of there was an opportunity for X to happen. There was a report that X was going to happen. There are, are you know, quotes and, and, and news stories or something of this. On the verge of happening, and then it doesn't. And now, what could have happened had that actually happened, had it went through, had that trade went through, had a, that free agent got signed or whatever? And it's all part of the step back. Uh, this week on the step back, uh, they're doing a, a really cool series called the Butterfly Effect, which is essentially what ifs. You know, okay, if, you know, if Andrew Bonham stays healthy, what would have happened? If the Sonics stay in Seattle, like what would have happened? So, this is kind of, we're going to talk about a few of the ones that y- you're going to read about here, and then also uh, ones that we kind of thought were interesting on their own as well. So, essentially, Butterfly Effect is what the step back is calling it. We're essentially Calling it what if, same sort of thing of, you know, here's something that could have happened, what would have happened in our minds, you know, sort of opinion based if that did happen. But all of them, as you said, rooted in reality, grounded in some sort of, of facts or reports or news stories or whatever.
0: See, I thought we were going to be doing an analysis of the film "The Butterfly Effect." So, <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, which, I, solid film though. So, yeah, you're you're very ill prepared for this. So uh, that's yeah, fine. Jump yeah. in wherever you need to. But yeah, that, uh I, I don't believe that is what we're uh, where we're going for with this one. Okay. But yeah, um, definitely
0: in the top tier of the Ashton Kutcher, you know, uh, ranking of films. I would <laughs> the take.
2: lexicon yeah. of yeah. of Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the pantheon of, of great Ashton Kutcher movies. Sure, absolutely. Um, I don't think you're wrong with that. I think you're probably uh, probably pretty accurate as far as uh, Ashton Kutcher. I'm trying to think. What are even, like, good Ashton Kutcher uh, – he's been in good stuff, but, like, what's – I,
0: I don't know. Um, <laughs> are
2: there, like, good Ashton
0: Kutcher movies? I, uh, I don't know. I, I can't – I've never seen The Butterfly Effect. Uh, I, the uh, – uh, uh, <laughs> full disclosure is what words I was looking for there. I have not seen that. So, yeah, I, I cannot recall. I'm sure I have. So you're I a liar. Recall. You're
2: just a dirty damn liar then. Yeah, so. I am.
0: Yes, so – what I do know I'm Two and a Half Men truth?
2: was your favorite show of all time, and the Asher Kutcher one was your favorite part of Two and a Half Men. So that we can,
0: oh, absolutely yes, uh, definitely. <laughs> you are nothing it, if not the, it got a lot the
2: world's largest. <laughs> yeah, right, sense. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, his, his rampant sexism was right up your alley.
0: <laughs> it was yes, I, I am a well known rampant sexist, so it definitely right.
2: appealed to me. So <laughs> we should probably talk. We should probably talk about basketball now. Favorite what ifs? So here's uh, some enough. top ones yeah. that we're going to talk about here. Uh, first one we're going to talk about here is what if Jason Kidd accepted the Spurs' eighty seven million dollar offer in the summer of 2003, and by the time uh, most of you listen to this, I will have published an article up on uh, Fansided and on the step back about this very topic, about Jason Kidd accepting a Spurs offer, and it is true that um, Jason Kidd was uh, offered the Spurs thing. We're going to go a little bit of background here before we kind of talk about what if... um, but just kind of give people an idea. Uh, obviously, if, if, you're unfamiliar with the Jason Kidd run of the Nets or whatever, uh, it was June 28th, the day after the draft, uh, in 2001. Uh, Rod Thorne, who was the Nets general manager at the time, uh, traded their all-star Stefan Marbury to the Phoenix Suns. A few other guys went in this trade too. But essentially, it was Stefan Marbury being traded to the Suns for Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd coming to the Nets. Uh, the idea of Rod, Rod Thorn was let's couple Jason Kidd, uh, with upstarts like Kenyon Martin and high-flying Richard Jefferson and, and see what we can do here. Uh, uh, worked out pretty well because they went to two straight NBA Finals. Jason Kidd was uh, one of the, the the premier players of the NBA. A guy that was looked at as like, oh, cool. He comes to this team. They immediately get success after not having success for a while. He's an important part of this. He's you know he didn't win MVPs. We're going to talk about who did win those MVPs in those years. But anyway, uh, he was considered you know, hey, this guy is is a dude who who unquestionably went to this team, made them better. Uh, After those two trips, though, Jason Kidd, he was now at free agency, wanted to test free agency, though he only had two teams on his list, so he kept it very sheltered, very close. Uh, He was going to stick with either the New Jersey Nets or he was going to look at the San Antonio Spurs, who, ironically enough, had just defeated his Nets. In the NBA Finals, so this, according to Jason, uh, who mentioned this um, a few years ago, he kind of gave out this story. At the time, it was sort of reported a little bit that he was interested still in the Spurs, but but the idea that he actually did get an offer and that he accepted that offer was something that Jason sort of mentioned a little bit ago. Um,
0: yeah, Wrong uh, Jason. Was, not, not me, but Jason Kidd himself. Yeah, no, so, no, no. You have not yeah. mentioned
2: that in your no. in your memoirs, but uh, no. but he definitely right. mentioned, uh, as well. He was coach coaching the Bucks or whatever. He talked about one of his biggest regrets, and it was during a little bit of the the Super Team stuff. And they kind of went to him during the Durant stuff as well, and talked to him, and and he said, "Hey, one of my biggest regrets was not joining the Spurs." But uh, anyway, reportedly, he agreed to an eighty-seven million dollar deal with the Spurs to join the uh, the the ex you know the, or the defending NBA champions or whatever. Uh, here's kind of a quote from ESPN reporter at the time talking a little bit about it. Uh, the point guard and his then wife were blown away. By the Spurs first class recruiting uh, pitch. Duncan spent time with Kid and tried to convince the all star point guard that the Spurs would make things work, despite them already having the young and talented point guard in Tony Parker. So uh, Kid was all on board. He's like, Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds good. I'm in. Tells Popovich he's in. He tells Duncan he's in. His wife, there. everybody's in, all in on board. On his flight home, though, Kid says he got cold feet. Um, Kid's family wanted him to stay in New Jersey. Uh, and, you know, to sort of sweeten the pot, he, I think he went back to the Nets and kind of said, hey, you know, I'm a little, uh, I'm not quite sure that I want to do this first thing. Maybe I want to go back to you guys. Uh, the Nets would kind of sweeten the pot. They would sign Alonzo Morning to a four-year, $22 million deal. Um, and then, yeah, then kid, um, goes back to the Nets. It's, it's only it helped too. I think the Nets gave him like 30 million dollars more uh, to stay there. Obviously with him being from the team, they could do a little bit more in terms of contracts, uh, in terms of kind of keeping him along or whatever. So he sticks with the Nets, uh, does not go to the Spurs. He would quickly regret that decision because the Nets performed per, uh, really poorly. Uh, Byron Scott's fired. Lawrence Frank is hired. They get things on track, but eventually they do fall uh, in the Eastern Conference semifinals to Detroit. Uh, after the season, the Nets trade Kerry Kittles and Kenyon Martin. Uh, Rodney Rogers is released. Lucius Harris is released. Uh, Bruce Ratner, who then owns the Nets, he just owned them or just purchased them actually that last season. Uh, he's looking to cut costs and reduce payroll. Uh, he eventually would go and sell the team uh, to Brooklyn of some years down the line. You would get the weird, you know, Vince Carter, Jason Kidd years or whatever. Whatever, but they never reach a success again. They never reach, you know, very deep into the NBA playoffs. They never really did much with kid. After that, they eventually then trade him over to the Dallas Mavericks where he does go and, you know, win a championship or whatever. But we're looking at what ifs here. So let's look at this particular scenario, this certain, you know, what could have possibly changed had kid gone to the Spurs after that season. The Nets, you know, when I look at them and I look at their sort of what ifs and their butterfly effect, I don't see a whole lot different from the Nets. I think maybe all they do is they don't sign Alonzo Mourning. Years down the line, they probably don't sign Vince Carter. They probably just go on the rebuild a little bit earlier than they did anyway with the end of, you know, the New Jersey tenure and working into Brooklyn. Maybe they go to Brooklyn a few years earlier because the team is sort of a shell of itself and people stop coming to games and all that sort of stuff. But. Really, I don't think their trajectory changes all that much if the Nets don't have Jason Kidd because they didn't really do much with him in those, you know, subsequent years or whatever. The real question though is San Antonio, and that's the one that really, you really have to wonder because, you know, Jason Kidd goes to San Antonio. They had just won an NBA title. They're going to stay competitive like I don't think there's any scenario where all of a sudden Jason Kidd tanks that team and they have they you know they can't play together they can't understand how to integrate kid like it doesn't work I don't know if there's a scenario where it just doesn't work what's the biggest question for me and what's most interesting and I'm kind of curious on your thoughts too is what do you do with Tony Parker. Because, you know, Duncan in that recruiting trip says, hey, you know, we'll we'll make it work with Tony here, you know, whatever. Well, kid's going to start over Tony Parker. Tony Parker's 20 years old at this point. He was a key part of that title win, but he was still just he was still kind of coming up 20 years old, still not an integrated piece of that Spurs team. You know, obviously he goes to either a bench roll. Maybe they move him to shooting guard, which seems a little weird. He was a good scorer. So maybe they think, hey, we got a good passer. Let's put him at shooting guard. But he's a really undersized shooting guard. So I don't think you do that. I think they trade him. What, What do you think they do with Tony Parker?
0: You know, I I think they can keep him at least for a while because you could have kid guard shooting guards and you could have Parker in there. That could probably work as a backcourt for a while. Now, you get to the point where Parker is too talented to to similar thing with James Harden, Oklahoma City, where it's like maybe he wants to be his own guy somewhere else, although he was obviously fine with being in San Antonio. But to a degree, he was the man. I mean, he was one of the three, you know, top guys, obviously in San Antonio and uh, and had the ball in his
2: hands a lot. I mean, he was he ran that offense in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it it really wasn't until, I mean, he he obviously was an important part of their team in, you know, 05 winning the championship. But it wasn't really until 07, you know, winning the finals MVP where he really, you know, even took an even bigger step up and was, you know, a a greater part of that team. I mean, he was still he was a little bit more reduced in his role in um, 05 and uh, so forth. Actually, he did pretty looking at the numbers now, he actually did a little bit better than I recall him doing. It
2: it's surprising. Yeah. And in doing research for this, I kind of had the same idea. And I was like, oh, man, he, he was already at an 18 points. Per game by like you know his age 22 23 season or whatever and he was already like really yeah so you, you kind of forget and you look at the playoff numbers too like he really did uh, a big stuff for them in the playoffs too but he's a guy who my idea is that yeah it, I think that they maybe try him out as shooting guard like you're saying because that's a, he's a great scorer like and you have a pure point guard in Jason Kidd you don't need a, a, a pure scorer uh, you know or you don't need a guy like Tony Parker or whatever but I wonder if that they look at him and go okay look this is a good asset we have here we got Jason Kidd you know uh, what, why don't we see what we can do for him And maybe you do get some Decent pieces for him because he's a twenty-year-old who broke out there in those NBA finals. Like I could see people wanting to to, to get. Uh, a part of Tony Parker. The part with that though, that really then becomes the issue is, yeah, you stay competitive with Jason Kidd for quite a few years after that. You, you know, and, and there was some debate on, on Twitter today when I released the article of people saying, well, they win more titles with Jason Kidd. And I was like, well, I don't know if they necessarily win more titles with Jason Kidd because they won three and five years with Tony Parker. Like short of them winning every single NBA title for the entire kid tenure, like they did pretty well with Tony Parker as well. I think it's just kind of a, a zero sum. I think they win maybe the same amount they do. Um, maybe the, I don't know that they're necessarily a super team. But I think they're improved a little bit by having Jason Kidd, but it's hard to project out. Yeah, they win five titles easy, no doubt. Like, so I don't know that much changed with Tony Parker in the short term, but I look at the long term and I look at the fact that Tony Parker and up until about a year and a half ago was a piece of this team that was still helping them win championships and and make playoff runs or whatever. Whereas Jason Kidd would have definitely I mean, we look at how Jason Kidd's career went he would have outlived, you know, th- th- that would not still be going on. By 2010, 2011, Jason Kidd w- w- was really winding down. Obviously, he was a big part of the Dallas team, but that was really the last hurrah for him. And then by 2012, 2013, he was a complete non-factor and, and out of the league um, at that point. Whereas Tony Parker, by that point, is still an integral piece. It, it really, until 2016, had really stopped becoming a, a big piece of the, of the Spurs. So you got a few more years then after that with Tony Parker. Whereas in the short term, I don't know that that much really changes.
0: Yeah. I mean, if they can keep Parker and keep Kidd and just and have him boost, you know, the rest, and they basically are able to keep the rest of the team, obviously, they'll, you know, some of the supplemental pieces will have to change because of, you know, the money that Kid's making and the money that Parker will making and so on and so forth. I mean, I, I think, yeah, a, you know, a run from 04 to 08 of winning most of those championships, um, I think that's realistic, and they were already won, you know, they won two of them. They could have won, you know, three or four, I guess. Uh, they probably would have been the favorites in 04 and, you know, and 06 as well. Uh, you, know, It would have be been really interesting to see, of course, kid and that Spurs team against that, you know, Gary Payton, Karl Malone, uh, Lakers team. You know, that, uh, that series would have been, had an, another extra flavor in there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it could have worked. Um, obviously, yeah, they, they would not have been in the same position to um You know, win the uh, the 2014 championship that they won, you know, and be in the the finals those couple years against Miami. Without you know, kid was done by then, obviously, and Parker was still really effective player. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know if you end up winning more championships, it just sort of changes the uh, the way that you know kind of things move around.
2: Yeah, and I I think the biggest part of this butterfly effect for me, and and the part I wrote about a little bit more, is. You know, okay, so you have Jason Kidd, who, who's, you know, at that point, he, he, had, he had been the runner up to Tim Duncan in MVP the year prior. This year, he was ninth in MVP. Uh, Duncan won back to back or whatever. Uh, it's obviously the New Jersey Nets, so it's the best player on the Nets, leaves the Nets, and joins a team that beat him in the NBA Finals. Now, obviously, there's a whole different, you know, basketball media and stuff, and it's obviously not going to be the same vitriol, I don't think, as like a Kevin Durant going to the Warriors, but you got to imagine a few people kind of look at it and go, ah, geez, like this guy just, just bounced from, you know, the, the second place team and went to the first place team. That's kind of yeah, a little bit, and and I do wonder, more than anything anybody getting mad at Kid or, or, or looking down upon Kid. I wonder if the narrative around Tim Duncan's career and the narrative around the Spurs changes a little bit because this is a team that's always been the, the ground-up team. The Spurs way has been, you know, we draft these guys between Parker and Ginobili and, and Duncan and then, you know, these bit players that we sort of fill in in these different spots. We sign a Matt Bonner and he just fits perfectly into our system. We get, you know, this guy. We, we in, reintegrate Steven Jackson and it's fine and it works out well. You know, like, like those sort of guys that are always pretty interesting is that's how the Spurs way was always built. It was built off draft picks. Even Kawhi Leonard was was a shrewd draft day move. It wasn't like the best player ever joined them. Really, until LaMarcus Aldridge signed up, they really hadn't gotten a big-time free agent. I mean, they got guys like a Michael Finley or whatever, guys that were were role players that would fit into roles. Never did they get a big splash of that guy goes to San Antonio and makes them a better team. So I do wonder a little bit of how the narrative would change. I think Tim Duncan is still regarded as being one of the best players of all time, but I do wonder if he gets down, looked down a little bit less if, like, well, yeah, you won three or four titles when the best point guard in league joined your team, you know, after David Robinson retired. So there's that weird little thing, because because obviously after this year, if they win the title, David Robinson calls it quits, and it's Duncan's team then for quite a few years. But if Kidd goes there, then is it like, oh, geez, you know, you really needed, you know, Jason Kidd to help you win those titles. So I do wonder the narrative around both Duncan, the Spurs, and maybe even Popovich as well, if Kidd goes there, because it's like, well, you just signed, you know, the second best player in the league, or, you know, arguably one of the best, you know, five players in the league, like that, you know, that's not the, you know, that's not the Spurs way that we know of, uh, that they Sort of created their team. So I was wondering about that, of how that would sort of change a little bit
0: yeah I, I think you could I think the mythology could be framed differently I, I get the sense that if they had had you know more success than they already had or similar success I don't think it would have made that big of a difference but definitely could have I mean I, the framing would have been interesting and kid was definitely not well liked at the, at that point you know he'd had some uh, I think drunk driving and domestic violence issues and and so he was definitely not a person who was you know well regarded in the limelight. even though he's a great player I think he was runner-up for MVP that year and um so so yeah it, it really would have it would have been interesting but it's odd because it would have changed so much and yet i don't know ultimately if it would have like you know the spurs would have had a greater amount of success with kid even though you know having won you know the top five players for the next few years obviously would have made a difference in uh, a lot of things
2: yeah, and then the last, uh, the last butterfly effect is the Mavericks. They don't get kid, and and no. Dirk may never have yeah. his title. Well, I and mean, they don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess theoretically they could have by then. I mean, maybe they yeah, not his For Tristan, right. kid by 09, and maybe it would be kind of weird for him to go from the Spurs to the Mavs. You know, assuming that rivalry would still be uh, alive. But yeah, I, I don't. That's not out of the question. But no, no, does, I think well, it is out of question
2: that they would they would make like a fake. Keith Van Horn career <laughs> return and then use that That's uh, to true. trade because the Nets just wanted to get rid of him. They took Devin Harris back, but it was really just like, ah, just you know, whatever. But yeah, you wouldn't Keith Van Horn wouldn't have gotten like his like eight million dollar payday to just say yes, I am not retired anymore, and then get eight million dollars and they go, oh, I am retired again. Bye. <laughs> like yeah. thank you. I'm yeah. gonna go build another floor of my garage. Thanks. Like yeah. that is the all time. Keith Van Horn, man. That is the all time great. Get paid like eight million bucks just to. It. Just to say, I'm not retired anymore. No, I
0: am active. We need to do an episode on those because there's like five or six of those that are in in NBA <laughs> right, yes. Some of them are really big money, you know. Um, I think Keith Bogans uh, signed like a big contract for being part <laughs> of the um, the the KG and Paul Pierce trade, you know, that kind of stuff. So, good times. So, um, our next uh, what if is uh, what if the Sixes had the Sixers had traded Moses Malone to the Pistons in 1986. So this is near the end of the uh, the Sixers with uh, Dr. J and um, obviously with Moses. Uh, Charles Broccoli had come in, but all the guys from the 83 championship team, from all those teams that made the finals in the 80s, Maurice Cheeks, you know, um, they're uh, they're uh, getting older. Uh, Bobby Jones is retiring. Andrew Toney's uh, getting an injury. Um, you know, the other guys, uh, you know, are, are, are past their prime. So it totally made sense to retool. Um, Moses was a little bit uh, down uh, from the season. He actually had a negative um, BPN uh, this season, although he would bounce back in the next few years. But he was definitely, you know down from his MVP form, still, you know, great rebounder, you know, still a, you know, over 20 PER even in a down season. So, you know, statistically was producing and was still, you know, really, uh, was a a probably top 15 player for sure, but was no longer, you know, top five was no longer MVP candidate. So plus he was feuding with uh, the Sixers owner and the coach. So it made some sense to trade him, but what ended up happening was a trade uh, was Moses Malone, Terry Catledge, a 1986 first round draft pick and a 1988 first round draft pick to the Bullets for Jeff Ruland and Cliff Robinson. Now, Not Clifford Robinson, but Cliff Robinson, who was a OK-ish forward at the time, but nothing special and didn't have much of a career after that. Also, they, the Sixers traded the number one overall pick in the draft, which ended up being Brad Doherty, to the Cavs for Roy Hinson who was, again, was was pretty good that year, was uh, roughly equivalent to Rudy Gay at age 25, but um, was nothing special and then ended up uh, not fitting in and, and I believe getting hurt and then and ended up not having much of an NBA career. So this basically put the Sixers back uh, a, a whole decade and was a disaster for them and they didn't really didn't get over it until the uh, Iverson era. But before we actually get into the what-ifs, like I, I – it was kind of roughly aware of that, you know, they had traded Moses Malone away, and it wasn't a very good deal. But I had no idea how terrible both these trades were, on the you know exact same day, and how disastrous it was for the Sixers. They did they were okay for the next season because they still Barkley and Irving, but after that, you know, basically did nothing. Yeah, it
2: yes, it, it, uh, they're not not great at all. Those are those are pretty nasty ones.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I had no idea how in d- digging into this, really how significantly bad that they were. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit different than it would be today because like Moses Malone was one of the highest paid players in the league. And mm-hmm. the number one overall pick, there wasn't the rookie scale. So you, you know, you had to pay, you, you know, you would have to pay Doherty among the top salaries in the league, you know, so because it was still you're we still a ways away from the rookie scale. So uh, I it mitigates that a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, obviously, um, you know, not so good. Obviously, you know, Brad Doherty ends up being, you know, a five time all star for the Cavs, and along with Mark Price, who was also drafted that year, you know, part of their, um, you know, anchor for those very good teams. And, um, and Moses was, you know, was good for Washington and was good for Atlanta for a few, you know, more seasons. But the, uh, the trade that, that possibly could have been, and there's a couple different versions of this, um, and, uh, um uh, Garrett Catalana at uh Phil Sports Nation wrote a really interesting article looking at this in depth. So um the the trade is there's there's another article written a couple years after the trade from the uh Philadelphia Inquirer that, that puts a different spin on the trade. So depending on, you know, what kind of trade you're looking at, it, it sort of uh gives it a different um spin, but I I'll, I'll take the one that um that um that their uh, general manager, um, uh, Pat Williams, uh, said was the one that was going to happen. So apparently it was Bill Lambeer, Kelly Tribuca, and Vinnie Johnson for Moses Malone and the number one pick. And maybe the draft pick that ended up being John Sally would have been a uh, part of it. But the idea of Moses going along to the, um, the obviously, you know, with Isaiah Thomas, with a rookie, um, Dennis Rodman with a rookie Joe Dumars. I mean, it's a really interesting team, but obviously, I don't. Even though Moses was a great individual player, I I think you lose so much of what made the uh, Bad Boys work, and obviously. Even though Moses is a better player than Bill Lambier, I think Lambier just kind of fits in with what they do with his ability to shoot from the outside. And yeah, yeah, all that stuff. I, I, I kind
2: of agree too. Yeah, like Moses on the Pistons sounds like good, and you look at them, but I, I, I don't know. It's just hard to imagine them without Lambeer. Like that's kind of in some ways a lot of the. Well, because we, we we've talked about this before on the show is that everybody has this idea that like the Pistons always play like the rough and tumble, you know, the bad boys Pistons style, and they really didn't. There was a while where they were like an up and down offensive minded team or whatever, and then slowly but surely kind of morphed into the rough and tumble bad boys uh, that we know. And Lambir was a big part of them sort of shifting that a little bit more towards that. So you wonder then if Moses comes in, that team is probably a different style than necessarily the Pistons that we know with Moses Malone. It's probably a little bit more of an offensive minded, you know, maybe up top on which team.
0: Yeah. And, um, I- Tribuka was later was traded that summer to the Jazz for Adrian, Adrian Dantley, who was an important part of the uh, you know the bad boys going to the finals. And then Dantley was traded for Mark Aguirre, who you know they ended up winning the two championships with. So that would have that would have changed that as as well. So, uh, but really interesting effect on the uh, Sixers. I mean, you, even if they have to uh, I didn't even really account for the number one pick, but if the um, we'll, we'll get to the Pistons actually having both Moses and the number one pick because. If you have Moses, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, to to draft Brad Doherty, even though he's the best player there. That fit isn't really very good. So now, obviously, Len Bias was, was picked uh, number two, and we, we all know how that worked out. Chris Washburn was a uh, had huge drug problems and was one of the greatest busts in NBA history. So then you're down to like guys like Chuck. Person or maybe uh, Ron Harper or Kenny Walker or guys like that. So you're not really getting a whole lot out of that um, pick unless you trade Dor get Doherty and then trade him or something like that. You know, maybe it's something you can work out along with, with with those lines. So that probably isn't going to give you enough enough depth to uh, make that work. But I don't know the, the Sixers' r- really interesting idea of them rebuilding around. I mean, imagine Charles Barkley and Bill Beer on the same team, you know. <laughs> a- a- and Shabuco was a good outside shooter. The, the, the Sixers weren't that interested in him. But, you know, he was effective and he was, you know, it was still like in his late 20s, so he still could have yeah, been right, there. right. Vinny Johnson off the uh, bench. And, you you know, you have – at least you have a really interesting 87 team with, you know, Doc in his final year. And, you know, Maurice Cheeks is still there and he's still pretty effective. So that uh, – you know, you, you kind of extend the – years that um you know that goes along and you know if you maybe if you you keep Moses for another year or find another way of at least trading him for you know someone like um you know uh Jeff Ruin who was you know a solid player but had Mm -hmm. already had serious injuries and in fact they did a um they did a physical on him that showed that he, you know, his, um, I believe it was his knee or his ankle, uh, was no good. But then the owner did not want to. Uh, Harold Katz did not want to um, overturn the trade because he was afraid of the position that you know he was put in. And, and Moses had been critical of ownership. He'd been, you know, mad at the coach. That there were some, you know, issues that were going on there. So that that relationship had already been soured. But you know, imagine, you know. Having the medical report that he had, he, and he played like, <laughs> you know, uh, less than he less less than fifty games for the uh, Sixers before he retired. Uh, he he made a brief comeback a few years later, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, just a disaster from all the way through. But yeah, I mean, if you know. Either, you know, if you're able to just go young and get, you know, Brad Doherty and figure out another way to get, you know, some young pieces there. Either way, the Sixers have a really interesting team, you know, going forward, whether it's immediately or whether, you know, it's kind of in the future. But that's, um, again, yeah, that changes a, little, a, a whole lot of things, uh, there. And, and of course, the Cavs, if, you know, they don't get Brad Doherty, they're stuck with, um, I, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're stuck with you know, a completely different team if they don't get uh Doherty, uh, you know, he was such a, a cornerstone, even though he did end up retiring early, still had eight or nine good seasons before, you know, he ended up uh, doing that. And they obviously had a really good run. So yeah, that that's a big, that's a really interesting, uh, what if, and I had not really heard about that until uh, Garrett, you know, told us about that. So we'll, we'll try to link to that article in the uh, show yeah. notes, um, because that's, that's a really uh, interesting one.
2: And you do wonder as well, you kind of, you, you know, snowball us a little bit more, is that maybe if, you know, the team is a little bit more competent in Barkley's, you know, later Sixers years. I mean, obviously, they went to like the semis a, a couple of those years, the first round. But maybe if they are a little bit more of, a, you know, Lambert still there and still a little productive. They got another asset like the the dra- whoever that draft pick was or whatever. Uh, then, you know, maybe I again, Barkley is Barkley. So he probably, you know, where is that? Where is that as welcome anyway? But you do wonder then if there's maybe a little bit more of a, a time where they can have him because. He leaves and they go, you know, to a real bad place for almost a half of a decade until they really got going uh, in the Iverson years. But, yeah, there was a really bad time after, you know, the post-Barkley years. So you wonder if that kind of changes a little bit there, if if maybe he hangs around or, or, you know, he can, you know, is a little bit more happy with what's going on in, in Philadelphia. But it is Charles Barkley, so it's hard to tell.
0: Yeah, I mean, they definitely would have been they, they would have been an effective team in the uh, late, you know, uh, two, uh late 80s and into the early 90s. Yeah, you wonder, of course, you know, them maybe competing with, you know, as, you know, as Jordan's Bulls are rising, competing with, you know, the, the bad boys are no longer the bad boys. So, you know, who wins those two championships if they actually do make that trade and, and bring Moses in? I mean, you know, that's obviously, that's obviously a one because I don't think they're a championship, you know, uh, competitive team at least they're not winning back-to-back championships maybe they could you know sneak one in i don't know Mm -hmm. um moses was always a good you know um he was a good battle against kareem so maybe if they do make it the finals they can win one of those but um but yeah i I don't it's really that that changes a whole lot of things it's it's really uh, that's a fascinating one
2: uh, next one here is what if Seattle and Chicago made the Sean Kemp, Scottie Pippen trade? And we have talked about this one uh, in our Scotty Pippen episode. I believe we talked about it in a Sean Kemp episode as well. Uh, but this is a pretty famous one that uh, almost went down here on draft day, 1994. And by the way, uh, I will have an article up on uh, Fansided slash The Step Back uh, this week about this trade. It's a little bit more detail if you want to kind of dive in uh, to some quotes and some other stuff. But we'll talk about it a little bit here. Draft Day 1994, Seattle and Chicago. We're talking about a trade that would send Sean Kemp and 2 times six Man of the Year Ricky Pierce to the Chicago Bulls in exchange for Scottie Pippen. And Chicago was coming off the 93-94 season, uh, which had seen the Bulls win 50-plus games for the fifth consecutive season. But this one was a little different because they did not have Michael Jordan. They had just Scottie Pippen as the leader of the team. And to the surprise of just just about everybody they were pretty damn confident with just scotty pippen uh with tony kukoc and a lot of the old core of the, the the prior three-peat uh but yeah i think the biggest surprise was that yeah they didn't i mean they obviously weren't the dominant team that they were with michael jordan but they were a pretty solid team still with scotty pippen and he had emerged as, as really a leader of the team he was the mvp of the all-star game and it really just emerged as one of the better all-around players in the entire nba which i think was a surprise to some people who maybe kind of cast him as the robin to michael's jordan you know to the batman but people knew that scotty pippen was talented but maybe that he was wouldn't be able to handle it as the guy or whatever. And he absolutely did after that year. Uh, some things got a little weird, though, uh, in the buildup of the year. And we'll talk about you know one particular moment and a particular 1.8 seconds that uh, things went off the rails. Uh, but kind of a little bit of a buildup. Pippen had beef with uh, Tony Kukoc, who had, who had joined the team uh, that year. Uh, Pippen had been unhappy with his contract. He had signed it in 1991 before the NBA really exploded in popularity. At the time, he was one of the highest played players in the league. But as time went on, he couldn't really get a new deal. There was NBA rules that said they couldn't really restructure his contract. The only way they could really get him a new deal or any way that he could get a new deal is by being traded, and he kind of always, every single offseason, sort of mentioned, hey, I like it here, but I would like to make some more money because I feel like I'm being grossly underpaid, which he absolutely was. When you look at the NBA contracts at the time, he absolutely was underpaid, Um, so wanted to get traded. Uh, you know his feud with Kukoch dated back to you know Jerry Krause, the the Bulls general manager, was was wooing Tony Kukoc for many years, and was wooing him with money, obviously. And you know Pippen's over here looking at, hey, I'm winning you titles, and I'm not getting paid, and I can't get paid. And then you're going over to this guy and waving a bunch of money around him, and and signing him for more than I'm making. You know, I I'm a little pissed off about this. And there's you know the famous dream team, you know, going after Tony Kukoc in the Olympics type thing. Anyway, uh, this all came to a head in the playoffs against the Knicks when uh, Phil Jackson, the Bulls head coach, of course. Uh, Dropped a game when he played for Kukoc, not Pippen. Uh, Pippen refused to go in the game. He said, "You know, I've had enough of it. I don't care." Uh, they have to call another timeout after the timeout to try to see, "Hey, what the hell is going on here? Are you going to get back in the game?" Pippen sits down, and says, "I'm not going in the game." Jackson says, "Whatever." Puts Pete Myers in his spot. Pete Myers then inbounds the ball to Tony Kukoc, who hits a game-winning shot against the Knicks. Uh, they would eventually fall in that series, but that was kind of the the, the final straw for Pippen and the Bulls. Um, they call. Uh, George Carl and the Seattle Supersonics and say, Hey, what do you think about, you know, giving us, uh, Sean Kemp and Ricky Pierce? And we'll give you guys Scotty Pippen. Uh, Carl mentions in his memoir, Furious George, and that's another time when we, I do think we talked about this, uh, cause we, we had the chance to interview, uh, George Carl, uh, is that, uh, in this Furious George, he says that Jordan, uh, he asked Michael Jordan, Hey, what should we do this trade? What do you think about it? Uh, Jordan said, do it. You know, Scotty can make your other players better. Kemp can't. Uh, and then George Carl also mentioned that literally minutes before the draft started, the Sonics owner, Barry Ackerley, uh, back us out of the deal. There was some maneuvering where Cross wanted a little bit more. He wanted maybe a draft pick, maybe this, maybe this, you know, just a little bit of changes. And Barry Ackerley eventually just says, no, nah, we're not going to do it. We're done. Uh, when I delivered the bad news, uh, Jerry Cross got out very upset, dropped a lot of F-bombs and called me names. And in the end, the trade did not happen. The Sonics would keep Sean Kemp, and the Bulls would keep Scottie Pippen. Uh, so, a few questions that kind of come from this trade, a few little uh, you know what ifs and, and butterfly effects. I think the most obvious one is: Would Michael Jordan have still returned to the Bulls if Pippen was no longer there? If 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 Sean Kemp is is waiting there for the Bulls, and Michael Jordan wants to return to the to basketball, return to the NBA, does he go back? Does he then go back to the Bulls if Pippen is gone and if Kemp is in that place? Jason, what do you what do you think? Does he do it or or, or not?
0: I mean, he seemed pretty motivated to to come. I mean, you, it's not like they twisted his arm to come back. Like he wanted to come back. Like I'm sure, right? It, it had some influence, but um, I think Kemp was probably good enough that it's still an attractive situation. Um, you know, they're they're close to as good. You know, whether it works and whether they can win three championships after that is it, it, I'm sure a question we'll discuss. But uh, I still think that's an appealing enough situation that it seems likely that he would want to come back.
2: Yeah, and I agree too, and and that that causes kind of an interesting question there too is is what we know of Sean Kemp's career is you know he, he plays out a few more years in Seattle, very good years as well. They go to the NBA Finals and, and face you know the Jordan and the Bulls. Then he goes to Cleveland and the lockout happens and things kind of fall off the rails and and it's now the the Sean Kemp story that we know that he you know gets fat and busts out of the league and all that sort of stuff. You do wonder though if he goes to Chicago and he's with Jordan. The narrative that around Sean Kemp, maybe he doesn't flame out very quickly. Maybe he wins a, a few titles. Maybe he wins three titles w- with Jordan. You know, maybe he wins two titles with Jordan. Either way, like you have to imagine that Kemp's career changes a lot and maybe doesn't follow the same trajectory of a guy that kind of gets bored of uh, of being in Seattle, wants to move, goes to Cleveland, has a few good years, and then it kind of falls off the rails a little bit. You wonder if he's a little bit more motivated, a little bit different, and that now we talk about Sean Kemp as being one of the greats in the NBA, one of the legends of of the '90s, one of the guys that we look at because he won two titles as Jordan's. Running mate or whatever, you know, kind of fills the role of Scottie Pippen. Uh, That's a really interesting thing to look at there. Uh, What I look at though, which is super cool too, is 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 the the supersonics. So they get. Uh, Scottie Pippen, they team him up with Gary Payton, which is like hellacious on defense. Like that, that is like an all time defensive team they got right there. And, and, and George Carl, even in fear, as George mentions, like that was what they were looking at. Is like, oh my god, like we are just gonna, we are gonna shut people down with Gary Payton and Scottie Pippen. That's two of the best perimeter defenders, you know, in almost in NBA history on the same team in their prime at the same time. You know, in the '90s when Seattle was already a very good team at that point too with Sean Kemp. So that's what I wonder too is what happens with Seattle? What's their sort of peak? Do they win a title? Do they compete for titles? You know they made an NBA Finals, but do they go there a few more times? Did they actually win a title at some point? Do you know they have a chance to kind of blow it through the West because the West was still very much open at that point too? And we saw them, you know, of course, break through and get to the NBA Finals. The one year you do wonder if if they could do it a little bit more, but you also wonder too is is offensively could they do enough? But you know, Pippen and Kemp, the offense wasn't a ton different, and and you know, defensively you get a little bit of an upgrade with Scottie Pippen. Not that Kemp wasn't a good you, you know. Defensive player, but you do wonder then Pippen and Payton as 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 a unit. That that's a really good defensive unit right there. Uh,
0: Yeah, I I mean, I would think I would think it'd be an upgrade for Seattle. I think they would. um, I mean, obviously with Pippen, you got more playmaking. You have more. um, Obviously, you have better defense perimeter defense. I mean, Kemp was a really good player, so you know it's not. I, yeah, obviously, I, I think the bump is slight, but I, I would say, I, I would, I think Pippen's just more versatile, and um, although Kemp was really good, and and was a, a good scorer, and Pippen was not as good of a scorer, so that's, you know, one thing that you lose a little bit, but I think you have enough uh, around him. Obviously, you know, Peyton can step up a little bit in that, and um, I, I guess the only thing is that, um, you know, with Peyton as the main playmaker, does that mitigate, you know, Pippen's playmaking a little bit, or is just, you know, as a secondary playmaker, you staggered them a little bit, does that work out, you know, find the way that it is, and, and what their personality wise you know Peyton and Pippen both kind of could be a little bit difficult personalities <laughs> maybe so th- does that mesh uh, well I, uh, right. it's an in- interesting question so uh, an aside here but I was just looking at um, Kemp's uh, basketball reference uh, page and his his best season in PER and uh, second best in Winchester forty eight and and I think second best in box minus was the 1999 ninety nine season. Uh, yeah, those Cleveland. first
2: two years in Cleveland, he is really yeah. good. There is like a playoff series where he's killing it. Like people forget that people think he goes to Cleveland and immediately gets fat and immediately gets bad. Yeah, he was good for two years. Like I, I thought it really
0: was the lo- I thought it was the lockout season where he got where he got fat. So maybe was it after the lockout or did he just was he just still good for I think like yeah I think no I think then,
2: it was like the year after the lockout it was like as eh, is kind of getting a little bad and then like after it, that it was full on like he's okay. yeah because yeah I don't know if it was like necessarily like immediately after the lockout it got real bad but it, it, it got bad pretty quick after the I, lockout
0: yeah I mean he dropped a lot that next uh, season I mean he, he he had that like similar to the way Lamar Odom just went off the cliff after one season although for different reasons um, obviously but um, but yeah I mean he had a, he had a huge um, drop off I just thought that was interesting I I thought it was the lockout year because I knew he was at least good in Cleveland for that first year but um, I didn't realize the second year you know he produced at least, well, you know, whether mm-hmm. he played well or, you know, whether, sometimes those can trick us a little bit, but it looks, you know, it looks like Numbers YC was still, you know, putting up what he usually put up. So, um, yeah, are the other...
2: Go. Oh, sorry, real, real quick. Yeah, we're real quick. There's some other things you look at, too. You know, the Dennis Rodman probably doesn't go to Chicago because they have Sean Kemp. Why would they need, you know, they don't really need another power forward. They, I mean, not necessarily that they play exactly the same game, but they probably don't seek out a guy like a Dennis Rodman. So that greatly changes, you know, what, what that trajectory was of the Bulls and them being, you know, a, 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 such a great elite rebounding team with Dennis Rodman or whatever. Uh, maybe they're not as defensive focused. Maybe they're a little bit more offensive those last three, you know, three-peats or whatever. But yeah, there's just a lot of different things. And of course, Seattle, the whole. Whole difference there is, you know, if they win a championship there, you know, say, say Peyton and Pippen do win a title, you know, you think it's an upgrade. I, I agree that they would have been upgraded that then, you know, if they win a title in let's say 95 or 96 or whatever. It, does that sort of change the trajectory of Seattle and the Supersonics we talk about you know uh, famously the Seattle Mariners in 95 when they beat the Yankees you know in the in the MLB playoffs they consider that the time when the Mariners you know or, or the, you know they saved the Mariners in Seattle because then they said okay and then you know shortly thereafter they got the funding for Safeco uh, you know, Stadium and then, or, or Safeco Field built that you know big stadium and the Mariners are still there it does a title at any point or does maybe consecutive NBA Finals runs or maybe a little bit more keep the Sonics in Seattle that's a much bigger you know question there but uh, you do wonder if they become a a much bigger deal if they win you know one of those titles or even you know make a few NBA finals as opposed to just one
0: yeah I think it would have taken winning one to make a change in that that's really hard obviously because there's so many factors that are going on and that was you know fairly distant from that era when they finally did actually move but I mean maybe the Maybe there's just more of a motivation for the city to, you know, for the, for the fans to demand that because there was a little bit of fan indifference at obviously like trying to, uh, you know, renovate the stadium or, or renovate the arena or, or what have you, and that that if they'd won a championship, maybe that fan indifference is you know is is lessened to because there's you know better memories of of that. I don't know. I mean that that's that's a hard one, but I it it, it worth thinking about for sure. Sure. So um. So next, uh, we have uh, another Pistons-related one. Uh, what if the Pistons drafted Carmelo Anthony instead of uh, Darko Milicic? Which is um, really interesting because, of course, the uh, in 2004, after they um, after they had drafted uh, Darko, they uh, they won the championship in uh, in the 2004 uh, season, uh, despite getting very little out of uh, out of Darko Milicic. Um, and they just come off a uh, Eastern Conference Finals appearance against uh, New Jersey. We're beginning to form what would be the championship team, of course, with uh, you know Chauncey Billups, uh, Rip Hamilton, uh, Tayshawn Prince, uh, you know, merging as a um, young player and being Ben Wallace. Uh, I, I guess the first thing that's interesting, of course, is if they have Melo, do they trade for Rasheed Wallace um, right. instead? Because you know, because I, I mean, you know, at that point they're you know um it's not so much position because mellow would have been a small forward and and wallace would have been a power forward and um you know you you could have made that work but is are they looking for someone like rashid when they think maybe they can kind of get some of that from uh, Melo. obviously the the big thing for for rashid was he was an incredible defender and, and mellow you know certainly as a rookie and never really in his career was going to um be that um so, uh, you know, if you don't, if Melo is just, you know, kind of coming off the bench and is okay with that and they still trade for Rashid Wallace, I don't think it changes much in 2004. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I don't. Um, or no, I, I do agree. Sorry. I don't think it changes anything, is what I
2: meant to say. Yeah, uh, yeah I think everything is still pretty much. The, 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 the big question, like you mentioned, is is Rashid and, and how integral was Rashid in them? Getting over the hump and winning the title, and and do you think that Mello, you know, a very young Mello, would have filled that role or, or, or been able ah. to, you know, help them enough to to get to the you know title or, or you know get to the finals or win an NBA title? Is it,
0: I guess. It. Yeah, absolutely no way. No, there, there's no way that he contributes enough that much in, in the same ways that Rashid did, you know, for defensively and and uh, and what have you for, you know, kind of revamping that team. There's no way that at yeah. that point as a rookie that he would have been able to do that.
2: I think there's still a competitive team because we saw they were competitive without oh, oh, yeah, I yeah, doubt yeah. that Carmelo like tanks them or whatever. But yeah, I think there was really the the important thing of them becoming what they were, what was Rashid in a lot of ways. And, and you have to remember, too, is is the big reason why they drafted, you know, Darko and not Carmelo is the coach was Larry Brown. And and Larry, I don't see Larry Brown being like, yeah, Carmelo, like here, you know, have these possessions, take these points, you know, do whatever. Like Carmelo isn't necessarily Carmelo if Larry Brown's the coach for him. I really don't think that I, – I just – in my, my heart of hearts, I don't think Larry Brown is a guy that really – Understands or really wants to understand what Carmelo is at that point. He's got an idea what this team is going to be. He's molding the team in a certain way, and Carmelo isn't that sort of player right now. Is that not to say that eventually that he would become that type of player? Maybe, but I think we might see a situation where Carmelo is a guy that doesn't play all that often or maybe doesn't play, you know, doesn't start or or doesn't get the ball, you know, in his hands as many times or whatever, and that kind of changes a little bit of what we think of Carmelo and because he went to just, I think, a very good uh, spot in Denver who immediately just kind of gave him the keys and let him be him. Uh, right off the bat and I do wonder then you know how does that so I think that factors in too is is we you know we can't just plop you know what we think of Carmelo on the Pistons go oh that would have worked out really well because it's it's that's not exactly what was going on I mean there was a lot of veterans it was a veteran coach a veteran team and a team that hadn't been already good so it's not like Carmelo just goes there and immediately they go okay yeah you should all you be Carmelo go ahead like that I don't know that they necessarily do that
0: yeah and imagine how Carmelo felt about playing for George Carl. Now imagine George Carl, <laughs> right. uh, a version of George Carl who is also plays boring basketball. You know, right. imagine and, a boring, bigger pain defense. in the ass than
2: George Carl they right. like.
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the whole but you know, they're both North Carolina guys, the same, you know, the that a lot of that same mentality, a lot of the same difficult to work with type of stuff. Now, you know, I wonder how Mello would have like maybe if, if he plays with a, a team with you know veterans that he would respect i you know he i mean I, you know denver didn't really have you know going in there he it was not the same kind of culture obviously um you know, whether that's a, whether that changes how Melo plays, whether he is, develops as a different type of player, maybe as a more complete player, maybe he's a little bit more willing to kind of fill some roles and play some defense. And, you know, maybe he, you know, I mean, maybe he, maybe he starts or maybe he comes off the bench or maybe he's okay with that. Maybe he's definitely, I mean, he might've been okay with it for like a year or two and I'm sure he would not have been okay with it like long-term, but, um, I, but that's a really, there, there's a whole lot, uh, of, you know, weird things going on, uh, there, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I I, I feel like uh, it, it, probably even though obviously Melo is a great invi- individual player, great scorer, and, and does a lot of interesting things, and maybe you know they can. I, I, it's it's hard to imagine them actually turning out better than they did. I mean, they went to you know six straight Eastern Conference Finals, I believe. So, um, uh, you know they so they and they made the finals twice. They won a championship. I mean, it's it's really hard to. Um, Believe that they could have done a whole lot better, but then but maybe Mello, you know, if he does stick with them, maybe they're eventually trade Chase John Prince. Maybe Mello is the kind of guy who can get them over the hump. Maybe he's exactly the kind of the the elite scorer that they need, and everyone else can, you know, defend and rebound and, and do all the dirty work, and he can yeah. kind of be the you know, do that elite thing. You know, maybe he is a guy who can keep, you know, uh, who can have a duel with LeBron instead of letting LeBron, you know, when 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 LeBron's scoring, you know, twenty five straight points, maybe Melo's a guy who can, you know, kinda just get a couple of extra buckets and win that game or, you know, win that series through that. I mean, maybe as he develops you know, so it certainly like theoretically I, I can see it working in a you know uh over the long term maybe but and maybe you know, maybe what you're talking about is you know if they didn't get Rashid if they kept the team kind of the way that it was may, obviously they're not going to win in 04 and I don't think they're making the finals in 05 but maybe yeah they they do kind of just push that back a little bit in our and are, you know win those championships or make a couple finals a little bit later on um as Mello is you know rounding into a great form but yeah, I don't know. Uh, there, there's so many ifs there. I mean, there's there's what ifs upon what ifs upon what ifs if, uh, if if this happened. And you know, one thing that you brought up here, which I think is really interesting, is the idea. Okay, if, if Miller goes to the Pistons, obviously doesn't go to Denver. You know, where does you know where Chris where does Chris Bosh go? Where does Do, where does Darko end up going? You know, who who ruins their team by getting Darko? You know, does Dwayne Wade go to Miami? That's uh, you know that that that's pretty crazy as well. Yeah, there's just like the, the, butterfly fight is huge
2: and the dominoes are huge because he's the number one or the number two overall pick. So now you have just a, a big line of like, okay, you know, because w- w- this draft, of course, most people know, but if you don't, this is, you know, arguably one of the deepest, you know, or at least the top, most top heavy draft of all time. You got LeBron, Wade, Bosch, Melo, David West, Kirk Heinrich, you know, guys, the list goes on. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, franchises were completely altered by this, this draft. And, and you wonder then, yeah, if, if, if the Pistons don't get Darko, Do a lot of the other teams, or a lot of the other teams are interested in him? Maybe some other teams going. "Ah, I know, and then he falls, and and it's just the the domino effects are crazy. Is like Wade doesn't go to Miami, Bosch doesn't go to Toronto, you know, Kirk Heinrich doesn't go to the the Bulls, you know, David West goes somewhere. It's just because it's number two overall, and, and and you you know can reasonably think that maybe Darko falls a little bit. Uh, because the Pistons were high on him almost from the beginning. And Joe Dumars says, you know, famously, you know, I, I was I was kind of all in on this guy from like day one. And, and maybe I should have done a little bit more due, due diligence here is that you wonder if that dominoes fall. And there's a bunch of random guys going to random places and franchises that are just completely different. But, uh, yeah, it, it's super interesting to see how this sort of played out. And, and it, him being so high in the draft, and uh, him being such a game changer, um, it, it's just it, it's one of the fascinating what ifs uh, of all time, really.
0: Yeah, I for sure. Um, I can't say any better than that, Rich, so I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> All
2: right, so we'll move on to what if Orlando retained the rights to Chris Webber in 1993? So uh, a little bit of a background here. Of course, Orlando won the grand prize of the 1992 NBA draft, picking first and selecting Shaquille O'Neal. That was a very good pick because he averaged 23.4 points per game, thirty point nine rebounds per game. He was an all-star starter. Rookie of the Year and the Magic won 21 or more games than they did the year prior. So good pick. Uh, the Magic then the next year surprisingly landed the number one overall pick again. Uh, power forward was Orlando's biggest need at the time, and it just so happened that Michigan power forward Chris Weber was considered the most talented prospect of the entire draft. Good, so that seems pretty easy, right there. Uh, they flirted with the idea of drafting BYU's Sean Bradley, which my can you imagine Sean Bradley and Shaquille? I can't do that, but the one that works a little bit more, Kentucky's Jamal Mashburn, was another one that uh, was on their list. But when it was all said and done, the Magic made, by many accounts, the Rhett choice and selected Chris Weber. Not so fast, Orlando would then trade the rights to Chris Webber to Golden State in exchange for Anthony Hardaway who we know as Penny Hardaway, a 6-7 guard from Memphis State. Uh, they would also move along three future first round picks for uh to the Warriors or they would get th- they would get three additional first round picks from the Warriors. I should say uh fun fact those three picks were 1996 a first round pick uh that was Todd Fuller, a uh, 1998 first round pick which the Warriors selected Vince Carter. <laughs> they would, of course, move the him on to Toronto. Uh, da, 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 da. And then a 2000 first round pick, Mike Miller. So they were kind of in the distance there. 1996, 1998 and 2000. But the uh, two of them ended up being, you know, obviously mainstays in the NBA. And then the other one was Todd Fuller. But uh, the Magic's reasoning uh, for doing this trade, the Magic knew it would be difficult to fit Weber's salary under the cap. Uh, there's no rookie cap at this point as well, so there's a little bit of a you know issue trying to get a rookie deal, especially a guy uh, like a Chris Webber who's going to command a lot of deal. And Orlando felt that Hardaway's open court game would complement O'Neal's dominant inside game. Uh, the Warriors' reasoning uh, was they believed that Webber may be big enough and agile enough to play center in their up-tempo offense. And with Webber, Chris Mullin, Tim Hardaway, and Billy Owens, the Warriors had one of the league's most potent offenses under head coach Don Nelson, so it all makes sense right there. Uh, as far as what-ifs, it's hard to say what would happen with the Magic Uh because, you know, with Weber and check. Hey, they've probably been good but Penny and Check were really good too so it's like they you know they almost instantly were a, a very good team almost instantly a contender so it's hard to say you know if anything would have been totally different if Weber goes there because you know Penny and Check end up going in NBA Finals end up making you know deep runs in the playoffs with those two Uh, you know the Magic probably still nickel and dime Shaq and and, and lead to his exit uh, I think that had more to do with Penny and I don't know necessarily that Weber being there would have been a whole lot different so I don't know if the trajectory of the Magic changed all that much what do you Think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like, um, you know, Penny and Shaq fit so well together when they played. And it's, I don't know if Weber and Shaq, you know, would have kind of occupied the same space. I mean, Weber was talented enough and, you know, just, and a, you know, good playmaker is a big man and might have been able to, you know, kind of be at the high post where uh, Shaq was down inside. So maybe that would have worked okay. But I just, yeah, that, that, that's a little bit, even though Weber was. I don't know. Was Weber uh, like in their first like you know six seven years of four? No, I don't think so. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I don't um, think Weber was was, better
2: than Penny. I think Penny was pretty damn awesome until his knees. You know, Weber eventually caught up later in his career, and that's the problem. Is people sort of say, "Oh well, no. Look at look at Weber's career and look at Penny's career. It's like yeah, what Weber. You know, from. 1999 to, you know, 2003 or whatever. Yeah. He made up, you know, time, but Penny was a damn good. I mean, Penny, you inserted him immediately and he was a guy that was mature enough to sort of handle being, you know, the leader or, or one of the leaders on a really good team and a guy who, who was great at handling the ball, great at playmaking, great at, you know, sort of distributing, great at, I mean, like everything kind of worked with Penny there. And, and yeah. So the idea that they would have been better with Weber, I, I don't know that I really believe that. I think they were much better with, with Penny. So.
1: Yeah,
0: I, and yeah, you look at uh, I. I just kind of popped up their stats from their rookie year through '99, and um, yeah, they have exactly the same value over present over replacement, uh, two two point three, uh, or sorry, twenty two point three, and. Um, yeah they're uh penny is slightly better Winchester for 48 slightly or er, uh and weber is slightly better per and and a bit better blockchain plus minus so they're they're very equal at least you know numbers wise obviously in very uh different ways hardaway did, did play a bit more so uh he, he had more minutes more games so weber was hurt a little bit more during that time so yeah that's a um because i think historically we think of weber as as the better player but um yeah, I mean, I think especially for the first, you know, five years of their career, I, I think, um, you know, Hardaway was regarded as the better player. Certainly, he was on the successful team. Weber was on kind of a series of disappointing teams. With the, uh, you know, of course, had a and feuded with Don Nelson, left Golden State, and then you know, the the Bullets were were okay, but nothing you know, special um, during his time there. obviously, it wasn't until Sacramento that things changed. So, um, yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, you wonder, yeah, does Weber – would that have worked out with um, Shaq and, you know, would they have been able to keep him because, you know, it was more of an issue obviously of keeping um, – uh, of keeping crap rather than keeping um, Weber. And I'm sure things would not have gone as bad for Weber, you know, in that first year obviously. But um, I don't know. Yeah, that that's a um, – that, that, that's a tough one. Yeah, I, I think it's um, – you know, you, you wonder where Weber ends up later, of course, you know, I guess whether they you know, are able to build a team around him uh, with Shat gone or whether, you know, they are actually able to make it work together. I, I think it probably, even though both those guys ended up, you know, kind of having their difficult times, um, I think it probably ended up for the best for uh, both of them, you know, um, all things considered.
2: Yeah, and, and the Warriors, what ifs, of course, is, you know, Weber was a disaster there, as you mentioned, feuded with Don Nelson. He was out of there after a year. Uh, maybe things would have been better with Penny, but it's Don Nelson, so it's hard to know. I mean, he had a way with, with people. At the very least, uh, I think the franchise would have been a little bit more stable. I think Penny probably stays more than one year. Uh, you also do wonder, though, that if if, if the deal wasn't uh, in place, do they draft a Penny Hardaway or do they go with a guy like a Jamal Mashburn or even like a Sean Bradley? I mean, we know Don Nelson loved himself some Sean Bradley, so maybe oh, yeah. that's yeah. guy he looks at. Maybe an Isaiah Ryder type. like Because you look at it and you look at it, I don't know that they necessarily would need Penny all that much on, on that team, especially with you know a Tim Hardaway type, with a Billy Owens, with, with Chris Mullen or whatever. So maybe they go big. Maybe they go with a guy like a Jamal Mashburn or a Sean Bradley. So the Warriors is really tough to know because I don't know necessarily that it was like, oh, okay, it was either Penny or it was Weber for them. I just think that's how the trade sort of worked out. Uh, and they really wanted you know Weber or... Uh, but yeah, I could see like a Jamal Mashburn going there for sure. And maybe there's a little bit more stability uh, in Golden State. Maybe they get a fee, you know, maybe they're not a better team overall, but maybe they're just not the, you know, topsy turvy team that they were throughout the 90s, who just could never find any stability. And really a team that kind of carried that over into the 2000s until, you know, what we see today, which is, you know, one of the model organizations. But at least you think things are a little bit more stable if they don't do the trade. Not necessarily that they keep Penny, but that they go maybe in a different direction. and And, you know, whoever they draft isn't out of there after one year.
0: Yeah, maybe if the Warriors get Sean Bradley and Nelson gets Bradley earlier in his career, Bradley develops a three-point shot, and then he becomes <laughs> revolutionary big man that we all you know, uh, know and love in basketball history. Right, and then
2: Dirk like wants to go to the NBA, and they're like, yeah, we don't need you. We got Sean Bradley, buddy. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll yeah,
0: just go back. Exactly. I'll just
2: stay in Germany yeah. then for the rest of my life. Fine, <laughs> like, deal. There you go. You know, Don yes. Nelson, doesn't, doesn't, Nelson doesn't fall in love with Dirk, and he's just like, ah, I got a guy. I don't need him. Yeah, that, perfect, yes. And then Jason Kidd doesn't win uh, his NBA title. Yeah, you know, this is what you can do with this thing. So that's why it's yeah. fun.
0: The the obviously, you know, Sean Bradley being the dominant big man of uh, his generation. <laughs> I, know, like he, I like this. I like his shoot idea. threes, yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I've always
2: been a, I was always a Sean Bradley fan. I always enjoyed did, Sean Bradley, yeah. Yeah, Everybody yeah. gave him a lot of shit, but you know,
0: hey. Yeah, well He's he, he did get dunked on a lot. Yeah. Well <laughs> he, he, was, he was an okay player. He was a tall player, so that was He was cool. tall. He was not undeniably not tall. tall, I think. He was unequivocally he, a tall he was player tall. Sean Bradley, yes. <laughs> I, I believe, yes. Mukti Bogues was the short player and Sean Bradley was a tall player, I believe. Yep. These my, are things you can learn
2: here on the Overback and the yeah. podcast.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so our our last uh, full what if uh, before we get to the, uh, the, the lightning round is uh, what if the Indiana Pacers had drafted Larry Bird or for that matter, any of the uh, teams ahead of the Celtics who picked sixth in the 1978 draft? So Larry Bird was actually selected a year before he went into the NBA at the rules of the time. He was a. He still had a year of eligibility <laughs> of college, but he had um, he was four years out of high school, so that was the rule. So he he, he ended up skipping a year um, and uh, of, of college, and then was you know so he was at the proper age and was able to be drafted. Of course, uh, any team who drafted him would had to have to wait a year to get him. So because he he wanted to go back to Indiana State, uh, so uh, the uh, the Celtics did famously and were able to get him sign him in '79, but the uh the indiana pacers were very close to um to doing so they initially had the first overall um pick and then they uh they traded down a bit to the um to the blazers uh they were able to um i, I forget which guard they were to pick up they to pick up one of the uh, one of the guards from the uh, 77 team in that trade and they traded down to the sixth overall pick as we um as we talked about and um Slicks Leonard went to uh, went to Larry Bird and tried to convince him to come to the team to save the uh, Pacers. The Pacers, as we talked about before, had had, uh, had were struggling financially. Were struggling after their glory years of the ABA. They had to pay that exorbitant fee to get in the NBA. And they had a, a series of unfortunate moves that we got into in our 70s uh, series. But um, unfortunately, we're not able to convince Bird to um, – to go he wanted he promised his mother that he would uh, uh he would get his degree at indiana state and uh then he ended up getting the uh and then he ended up being drafted by the uh, celtics instead it was johnny davis by the way who went to the um Portland Trailblazers. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. uh yes so um and uh and the uh yes so, so, so actually so the uh I, I misspoke the the celtics are the number six draft pick the uh the Pacers at number three, which they ended up picking, um, Rick Roby instead. So, uh, Rick Roby was, you know, a, a pretty good forward during his time from Kentucky was, you know, not, not, not a bad player did not end up being working out that well as a player. In fact, his biggest success actually came later when he was played alongside Larry Bird on the Celtics. But, um, and they'd also lost uh, Dan Roundfield, who was who was their best player, who had been assigned to a big contract with the Hawks. So they were in a precarious situation. Uh, they had some young talent, like. Um Alex English, Ricky Sobers, Johnny Davis—who guys—who they all traded for in in, in some pretty terrible uh, drafts. It was not a good uh, time for the uh, Pacers, but yeah, theoretically, you know, Bird could have come in and had some talent around him, and you could see have seen not the success he would have had with the uh, Celtics. That's almost impossible to believe, but he certainly, you know, could have been a—you uh, you could have had some really good success there, and they potentially could have had a situation, you know, on paper where they could have built a very good team around Bird. And certainly you know the the interest there in indiana i mean i doubt it would have had it would not probably have gotten the same national attention In fact, i would cert- would say for certain it would not have gotten the same national champion that bird on the celtics would have and the celtics you know lakers rivalry there was just something magical about that you know given the histories of the teams given the you know the cross coast thing given where mm-hmm. you know boston was an nba history and you know media markets and all that good stuff but i still think it would have been something that you know something that could have been
2: special as well yeah, I mean, you still have to remember, and, and you watch anything of that time, especially you know, the 30-for-30 the 30 30 with the Lakers-Celtics, I mean, the, the, the NBA was, for for lack of a better term, and for better or for worse, searching for a great white hope, and, and whether it was in Indiana... Uh, or, you know, Boston or whatever, I think they would have done a lot to sort of promote him. Plus, it being his hometown, being where he's from or whatever, I think that would have been a little bit. It's still middle America, so you still have that little, you know, where it's not quite as sexy as, you know, Boston versus, you know, Boston versus LA, you know, both coasts or whatever. So it's still, maybe it doesn't have quite the same cachet, but to think that the NBA wouldn't have capitalized on, uh, Larry Bird, regardless of where he went, I I, I think it's, I mean, they would have done something with him. Larry Bird would have still been considered a, a huge star and still marketed. Uh, as a pretty big star, regardless of where he went, but yeah, does the rivalry is? Are we considering it like this all time great thing? If it's not Boston, LA, who had who had so much cachet from years and years and years uh, 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 of doing battles uh, or doing battle in the NBA, uh, even before Bird or Magic came there. So no, I, I don't think it's quite to that level, but I still think you know Bird is still considered a pretty big star, w- w- no matter where he goes.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. It is it, hard to imagine. Of course, the Pacers doing as well, building a, a team around Bird as the Celtics did. I mean, obviously, Celtics, you know, brought an amazing team around Bird, and and that you know the, the luck and combination of luck and skill involved in getting that together was probably uh, was unlikely to uh, happen for sure. So. Uh, uh, side note: The uh, Pacers did actually try to uh, uh, trade uh, for Larry Bird in uh, 1988. The um, Danny Wash later admitted, uh, recent podcast I listened to, in fact, uh, that he did go after Bird, and they, you know, politely said no. But uh, a, a report, he would not. It, he would not confess to what the actual offer is, but reportedly and other reports have said that the offer was Chuck person, Herb Williams and uh, Steve T- Stepanovich, uh, good old Steve Stepanovich. We talked about in a recent episode, uh, that, uh, Chuck person, obviously pretty good, but, uh, yeah, not, uh, not much of a deal for Larry bird. The uh, Celtics uh, probably made the right call even in 88, even with bird, you know, getting older and, um, you know, the Celtics best days, um, behind them, even though, you know, they were still pretty good for another, you know, three or four years. um, the right call uh there even even if you you could say it was maybe defensible from a basketball point of view you know obviously you don't want to trade Larry Bird you just don't want to do that so uh so so the right call there I would say
2: yeah certainly that's uh not bad but yeah it is pretty interesting there of what would have because Indiana, I mean they were they were a competent team in the 80s you know if they have um you know Bird maybe they're you know obviously the first time if they had gotten him the, the second time is yeah you know Chuck Person heard what I, I don't know that's kind of a zero sum there I, I think a little bit I mean Chuck Person it uh, wasn't an integral part there. Maybe you get a, a, another year or two uh, out of Bird, but yeah, Bird. I mean, it was already his body was probably breaking down at that point. So I don't know that you get a, you know a ton um, there for for either team really, or that Indiana in nineteen eighty eight really gets that much better by by having Bird for a few more years.
0: Yeah, I I would say I would agree.
2: Alright, so here's some others. This is kind of our lightning round, like you said. Uh, others worth mentioning. These are ones that we kind of came up with. We're going to have some ones from our Twitter followers as well. Uh, but, you know, ones that we kind of thought of. It didn't really break out into larger pieces. Uh, the Hawks keep Bill Russell. This is a famous one where, of course, they could have had Bill Russell, but they said, eh, who needs Bill Russell? We don't need Bill Russell. Uh, so they didn't keep Bill Russell. Uh, Jordan doesn't go and play baseball. Uh, Kobe and Sheck stick together. OKCK, uh, OKC keeps James Harden. Uh, the Pacers draft bird, as we mentioned. Uh, the Magic uh, Magic doesn't retire in 1991. or comes back in 1992, so Magic is, uh, you know, just keeps staying on and and, and you know his career lives on. Uh, there's some other ones that are coming to the step back throughout the week through uh, throughout the butterfly effect. So you're going to get long form stuff on this. Uh, what if Ray Allen missed the shots? You know, the famous shot that he hit for the Miami Heat. Uh, what if the Sonics stayed in Seattle? What if LeBron stayed in Miami? What if Andrew Bynum stays healthy? Uh, what if the Hawks took uh, Paul slash Darren Williams instead of Marvin Williams? I know that one is it's not good for you. And then uh, the of course. Uh, one of the most modern ones is the Clay Thompson, Kevin Love proposed trade, and what would have happened there if uh, the Warriors trade Clay Thompson for Kevin Love? Any of those stick out to you as ones that uh, particularly you've thought of before and, and, and discussed in your head?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of those are good, obviously. I think the Hawks keeping Bill Russell is interesting. Um, whether. Um you know, Russell and Pettit obviously would have been an amazing combination together, but whether the Hawks, uh, first of all, St. Louis was had, even compared to Boston, had a really uh, hostile um, uh, atmosphere for uh, black players. So whether that would have uh, gone well, whether, you know, the. Uh, uh, the St. Louis coaches would have understood how to use Russell in the same way that Auerbach did. I mean, Auerbach and Russell just was such a great combination of philosophies and mindsets and working together. And you just obviously Celtics was the perfect team. It's, a, I, I mean, the Hawks I think would have been tremendously successful. The Celtics actually you had still had a really good team. You know, even if they'd have, even if they would have, uh, you know, uh, kept McCauley and Cliff Hagan, that would still would have been a really good team. So I, I think there would have been some success on both sides. Uh, and the Hawks made you know four or five finals despite trading Russell for a while so uh there's some interesting stuff there yeah all those are interesting but uh that one obviously stands out to me because um obviously that that, that's i think the biggest change in basketball history i mean jordan not playing baseball i mean i still think they're you know they don't maybe don't win six championships but they're still really successful um you know the rest of those i think um are relative are more relatively minor changes but i think you know the, the the russell one i think is the biggest one
2: Oh, certainly, yeah, and, and yeah. some other modern ones, I mean, we, it might play out, uh, you know, the okc Harden one is, is we're kind of watching that play out, too, but uh, Clay Thompson, Kevin Love might be one that goes down for a while, too. Not that, you know, Kevin Love wouldn't have fit well with the, the, the Warriors, but yeah, Clay Thompson not being a part of the Warriors, it just seems like it it, it, it all doesn't work if, if Clay's not there in some form or fashion, so that's one that's definitely pretty interesting, too, and of course, uh, you know, the Sonic staying in Seattle is a, a big deal, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, Love's... Um uh, game has not aged well over the last uh, three years. Although he still contributes a lot to the um, to the Cavs, but yeah, I mean, they, going forward, Clay definitely is the guy they definitely wanted that I mean, that worked out pretty well for both teams. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally well, much, well, yeah. Well, well, I guess I guess for Minnesota, they they ended up getting Wiggins, which isn't bad, but either. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, a few suggestions from uh, Twitter followers. Uh, Scotty Pippen for uh, Tracy McGrady. I believe this was talked about in the Jonathan Abrams book. Um, that, that's a real interesting one, of course. It's hard to imagine, um, you know, uh, of course, Jordan wanting to play with a T-Mac. And it took a while for T-Mac to really become T-Mac. So that's an interesting idea. Um, uh, Tracy McGrady for uh, Larry Hughes. I'm not familiar exactly with what uh, context that was in, but probably not. Uh, Larry Hughes was really good for a couple years early on in his career before uh, things did not go well for him in Cleveland. Uh, Akeem Olajuwon to uh, Miami. Uh, Gus Johnson for Oscar Robertson in the when Robertson was originally going to be traded to the Bullets and then ended up going to the Bucks instead, which I think worked out best for him. Um, and uh, so, some of the uh, so, some fun uh, team names uh, the, <laughs> the, the heats could have been the uh, the tropics the Miami tropics of course from the uh, semi-pro movie uh, the nets could have been the uh, swamp dragons I believe uh, um, uh, Zach Low <laughs> wrote an interesting be piece on that one the wizards of the sea dogs which I, I think is better than wizards but <laughs> Um, what if uh, Chris Webber's knee doesn't buckle in the 2003 Western semis against the uh, Mavs? The Kings certainly had a shot that year. That was really the kind of the, their last chance for, uh, you know, winning a championship. Uh uh, Maurice Stokes, unfortunately, of course, his career is uh, cut short due to due his brain uh, injury, and uh, of course, they, you know, if they get uh, Oscar Robertson there, the uh, you know the Royals are a real interesting you know competitor for the um, for the Celtics during those years. I mean, Stokes was basically kind of the I mean, I mean Stokes and. Um, Robertson would have been, you know, kind of the uh, the way that Baylor and West were out west that would have been a very similar dynamic for them. Uh what if the uh, NBA doesn't veto the CP3 trade to the uh, Lakers? Obviously that changes a lot uh, there. Uh, and um you know, uh what if uh Amari Stoudemire and Roger Bell don't get suspended in uh, 2007? Um, uh what if uh Jason Kidd, or we, we talked about this obviously Kidd going to the uh, Spurs, uh what if the um uh, there's a lot, a lot of coin flip, uh, you know, uh, possibilities. You know, Cinder, um, Alcindor, Karim are going to the Suns, Bill Walton going to the uh, Sixers, Magic Johnson going to the Bulls. I think he actually talked about going back to school if he had gone to the Bulls. So, uh, <laughs> Damn Ralph, it. For, Damn Yeah, Ralph yeah. Sampson to Indy. <laughs> I wasn't uh, alive either, so I wouldn't have been alive for yeah. a while. So. Right, no, I was alive, but barely. Yeah, so. yeah.
2: Yes. so I wouldn't have enjoyed it my dad might have enjoyed it
0: more but that's yes fine. so yeah those are some of the uh so those are some of the interesting ones from our uh, the uh sixers politics. with the
2: Duncan lottery is one that we had uh, come up oh, yeah uh, uh, one two of, of you know because they were you know everything was was pointed out going there all right let's do this we got the Elton uh, Duncan yeah there's uh, other ones too you know obviously you have um Duncan in free agency you know the first time people kind of forget that he was really out there in the open for free agency uh after his first yeah. tenure with the Spurs I mean he was out in the, you know getting recruited by the Bulls I know the Magic were after him I think the Magic really wanted to pair him with Grant Hill so there was a lot of stuff where yeah. you know if Tim Duncan just bounces and just kind of is like a guy that goes to other teams like we think of him now as like the lifer the Spurs lifer but yeah it was like you know three or four years in his NBA career he yeah. could have been uh, an Orlando Magic which is like ooh, ew, ew
0: like no Right. I mean, they had a chance for Hill, McGrady, and Duncan. Right. Yeah. That was was their responsibility. And yeah, yeah, I mean, even if Hill had still had his injuries, I mean, McGrady and Duncan is that's. You know that they still may have won some championships with that, with that pair. It's possible. Certainly. How icky is
2: like Tim Duncan as an Orlando Magic? It's just like ah, geez, I don't like it. I don't like it. I it don't. is a
0: little weird. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not going to go so far as icky. I don't want to insult our fine Magic fans here, but it is. Oh, it they is know. Strange. They yes. know.
2: <laughs> they know they're icky. I do want the. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I do want the Nets as the Swamp Dragons though. That that is pretty awesome. Or the, or the Wizards as the Sea Dogs, the, the right, Washington Sea enough. Dogs. Would have been incredible. Yeah. Washington Sea That's good. Yeah. All <laughs> I'm all right. in on the Washington Sea Dogs. Miami They're, Tropics was too easy. Yeah. That's like a legit good name. Like that one, yeah, that, that would have been yeah. solid. Nuts that, is I a Swamp it, Dragons. I am. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I think Tropics actually a better name than Eat. I think I like Oh, that. God, yes. Uh, yeah, even, yeah. Even better. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind the heat, I guess. But yeah, I in fact now the Washington team for me is always going to be the Sea Dogs. So <laughs> I'm gonna call I, I think we've officially over and back recognizes the Sea Dogs yes, as yep. the Washington franchise's official name. So
2: and then that, that Swamp Dragons thing that came out, the logo came out like not that long ago, right? And it was just like this hideously weird, like and it was the most nineties. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that article that came out. I think it was the guy who yeah, was, it was like, yeah, it was I Zach
0: was, Lowe wrote it. Yeah,
2: yeah, so. yeah. And there was like a guy that was like, yeah, I was in charge of doing it, and it's like the most nineties. Yeah. I mean, it's like teal, purple. There's a cartoon dragon. Spitting a basketball because a basketball always had to be in movement, as we talked about yeah, in our 1999 Jersey <laughs> episodes. That if it's not the 90s, yeah. unless a basketball is moving, it can't just be a basketball. It's got to be. Hey, can it? has to move. I mean, basketball is always moving. <laughs>
0: right, yeah. So, it's never. Obviously. Yeah.
2: Well, it's never just a still thing. So, yeah, the, uh, yeah. I, I do love the idea of the Swamp Dragons. That would have been yeah. incredible.
0: But, uh, yes, you know. yes. All right, Rich, do we have any any other what-ifs or have we are we what if out?
2: I think we are what if out, but I uh, definitely want to recommend that everybody checks out uh, Step Back uh, this week. We'll have a lot of really good stuff, those what-ifs that we talked about, a lot of really good long-form stuff uh, dealing with it. But, uh, yeah, if there's any ones that we didn't mention, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter and uh, at over uh, and back NBA. Let us know ones that we forgot, ones that you really like, your favorite, your top ones or whatever. Uh, but we're always going to kind of want the ones that are a little bit rooted in reality and ones that were you know, close to happening or whatever versus you know ones that you dream up in your mind but uh yeah i'm sure there's plenty that we missed there that were pretty fun but uh yeah it's, it's a really cool topic uh and a lot of really good articles i've seen a few of them of course i wrote two of them for uh, uh the step back but yeah i've seen a lot of really good work uh being done right now for, for that so i uh, definitely want to check that out if you're interested in those other what if scenarios and, and sort of the butterfly effect of a lot of those things sort of changing so check that out uh, this week at the step back
0: definitely so uh, yeah thanks everyone for checking us out we're back again soon